in a five, in a four, in a three, in a two, in a one. And my music, my music. Here I am. Hello to everyone in the entire world. It is me, Matt, and this is Listen and Learn. And it is the day before the Iowa caucuses, so um, uh, happy a caucus to you, as they say in Iowa. <laughs> um, and uh, today, we're back on Listen and Learn, I got Justin back with me once again as the uh, now I'd say it's fair to say the unofficial co-host of this show. I know um, I need to I know I need to branch out, but listen, everyone likes Justin. He's a comfortable person to talk to. He knows a lot about the WWE, so I don't feel like I have to apologize for having him on all the time, even though I just did. Um, what I will apologize for is that today's episode is probably the uh, least interesting topic that we've had so far, but it's something that Justin and I like to talk about, so maybe someone will want to listen to it. It is sort of just past topical. Uh, we're going to list the top ten Royal Rumble matches of all time. Justin, hi. Happy uh, caucus to you. <laughs> keep, people keep saying that to me. Just walking on the street. I guess their Iowans transplanted here. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the kind of expression I never really recognized until you pointed out to me that it was uh, staunch Iowa dialect. So yeah. now I can't unhear it. Um. How are you? Uh, how are you doing uh, uh, um, uh, today? Oh, I'm flourishing, Matt. Completely flourishing. I got to apologize to you and the list listeners because this could have been timely, but I think through some fault of my own, it ended up getting punted back three or four days. So, well, we would have been right in the zeitgeist, and, but now we the waves already crest. So, I also postponed it one day too. So mm-hmm. we're equally to blame for this. I've, if anything, I am more so since it's my show that I postponed. Mm-hmm. Um. But regardless of that, um, so Justin, we're here to talk about Royal Rumbles. Uh, you like those, right? Tell me about them. Well, man, when it comes to the Royal Rumble, it's truly all about the numbers. Did you know that the Demon Kane has eliminated 470 pounds of one person once from the Rumble? It was the big show in 2002. Nice. Go to go. Way to go, Kane. Um, yeah. So the Royal Rumble's cool because. You know, even when it sucks, everyone gets excited for it. It has fun surprises. You don't even have to have a lot of good wrestling in it for it to be good, because it's just like, did you pick a good order for dudes to come out? <laughs> and that that's all you really need to do. And yet they still manage to fuck it up almost all the time. So actually picking a top ten, it's like, you're pretty much just picking the ten good ones, it seems like. And all the other ones are boring. Um, I, I find that the one thing I could say about the Royal Rumble is compared to like other good wrestling matches is the rewatch value is low if you've if you're if you've seen it recently because you know who's going to come out when there may be like three royal rumbles or four that actually hold up to repeated viewings and those will obviously be the ones near the tops of our list uh justin had guessed that we're gonna have pretty much the same lists i uh i'm not quite so sure but i'm curious to find out so um justin what would you say you look for in a uh, in a Royal Rumble? I can affirm everything you just said because I watched all ten of the ones I chose and no more, and that was a slog. Um, <laughs> say you don't need to watch more than say one Royal Rumble a week at most, and after that you need to quarantine yourself from them for a while. Yeah, I think doing that's... them in January to get Rumble pumped or to prepare for some sort of list based compendium show not ideal um sorry that's okay but uh what it sort of 
told me in the process was, yeah, I think you're right. There's very much a sameness to them and also a baseline in their quality. Like, pretty much with a few exceptions, they're um, accounting for, you know, the, the stylistic changes of each generation as it passes. They're all pretty much the same. And then some maybe uh, overreach and some underreach a little bit. But, uh, yeah, the version experience uh, <laughs> of watching a rumble is exciting even when it's bad because you never know who's going to come out next and when it's going to get good. And um, once you already know, that has kind of demystified it a little bit. Yeah, I feel like there are like different kinds of rumbles. There's the rumble where they really underbook it and they're just like, yep, everyone's just going to go out there. Sometimes people will get eliminated. Then at the end, someone will win. There's been actually quite a lot of those over the years, more recently than ever, I'd say, of just like mm-hmm. underbooked Royal Rumbles. Then there's the one, the ones where they're like, okay, we're going to just have the main eventers kill everybody. And the ring's going to be mostly empty for most of the match, and it's going to be like main eventers making everyone look like assholes. Um, <laughs> I think the 2002 one is probably the most egregious example of that, but I can think of a couple others. Um, and then there's like the good kind where it's like, they have, you know, like ebbs and flows throughout and, you know, like different phases of the rumble where a different person is the star, but there's usually one guy that's there for most of it kind of giving a through line to the match and there's like an overarching story and a couple little storylines in them thrown in. And that, uh, those are rarer than you'd think, but I'd say there are a decent amount of them on our lists. Um, Enough to get to your mandatory minimum of 10 slots yeah the, what i what i do find surprising is how many royal rumbles have the are very front loaded like where the ending really stalls out compared to the early parts of the match then there's some some that are the opposite but i'd say those are more common than not i don't know if you noticed that in your viewings certainly did and uh while i didn't watch the whole matches there were a couple uh, that I was unwilling to sit through again, but did go to see if they had any kind of hot finish. And um, more often than not, they weren't especially. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they go like even faster than you remember when it's down to a final four or so, and then it goes, me, you, him, I win. Yeah. So, so me shouldn't have been the first one, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wonder... And this is probably ascribing too much intent to a single person, but it would be nice to know with certainty what were the actual years Pat Patterson was doing the match and which ones he didn't. Um, it's kind of like that Heyman's fingerprints thing or Triple H. Did Triple H take control of the show from Vince or did Vince back? Yeah. That kind of idea of, you know, too much um, power and magic ascribed to one person, but... I know he definitely stopped at some point, and it would be interesting to know which ones uh, he was there, especially since he was at TV on Monday, making me wonder if he had anything to input um, on this year's Rumble. It makes some sense. That said, I don't really feel like there's an era of like where Royal Rumbles were consistently better than others. I feel like it's just kind of random when they're good and when they're not. Mm-hmm. Maybe the closest I can probably get is to the early 2000s when you have a few like good ones in a row but that also could just have to do with the talent being exceptional during those like probably just like the the best period for just the talent roster 
but you know, the maybe... default of what guys were going to do while killing time in the ring in minutes one through forty-five, the standard of that raised near exponentially yeah. over the course of you know a few years. But also in the early period, there weren't really a lot of surprises on who was in the Royal Rumble. They announced everyone in advance. It was actually one of the strengths of the era that they knew how to promote them. And then, but now, like the the probably the most exciting part is who's actually going to be in the match. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we can get started. We we gave enough background, so I'll go first. Um, my number ten is the Royal Rumble from the year twenty ten, and I um, this is I think one of the rumbles that falls into the category of main eventers dominating a little more than they should. But I thought that they had enough cool storylines throughout to make it interesting. First of all, the whole CM Punk mic work thing for the first like 10 minutes or so of the match. It, I remember being very upset at the time when he was just ended up being eliminated early by Triple H because I think he could, they could have done a lot more with him. And Triple H as the star in the ring doesn't really do much for me. But then I think it picked up again near the end because you had the Shawn Michaels storyline. Um, you had Triple H get eliminated, you know, in an exciting way where it was DX versus Cena and then Michaels and Cena kind of had their little match and Edge coming out was like a, a surprise but not really but I don't know I th- like th- there wasn't a lot of good action that's why it's not higher but I think as far as actual storytelling in the Rumble it's one of the better ones of the past decade or so it is also my number 10 alright 10-20-10 I agree with you it also if I remember right, is one of the quicker ones. Um, at a certain point, if you follow the history of the, the intervals, it's like a fixed two minutes with probably some shaving here and there, and then they go to 90, and then there's the weird 60-second ones. And it in current times, it's more like they seem to just hit the button when it's time to do the next spot for the next guy. Uh, and this one was definitely on the quick side, I think they, they get those last couple guys out there, Edges is a surprise, and then Batista, and, and they don't do the big drawn-out, like, Final Four do do stuff. I picked it, too, though. Um, Triple H going out early uh, maybe is a concession to him getting to throw out the guy who'd been built up for the first uh, third of the match. You always wonder how much, like, negotiating uh, in abstract terms goes on with, like, okay, so if I can, like, be the guy who runs the entire match for the first tenth, then I accept being thrown out by Triple H almost immediately. Um, and then, yeah, I, I liked the Sean spot. I liked the fact that then CN uh, comes out with DX. It had enough uh, highlights, which you, I think, have pretty much covered, that uh, it's one of the better ones of recent times. It was actually the last one I really enjoyed and felt satisfied by. Maybe from, like... Booking, layout, who's protected, and who wins. Yeah, again, like the, the 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 two main things that I had that I thought it had going against it were, um, like too much making guys look bad, especially in the last part of the match, and not enough real action. It was more just about the booking, and there wasn't really much going on wrestling wise. But I will say it's one its biggest strength is that it it had really good star power for a modern Rumble because. It had Triple H, it had Shawn Michaels, it had John Cena, it had Punk right when he was finally starting to become a star there. I'm pretty sure, you know, Edge as a surprise, Jericho was in it. Was Batista in it? I'm pretty sure he was, right? Batista was the last one, yes. Yeah. He's the one who knocked Shawn Michaels' fingers, who made him go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's pretty good star power for a modern-day Royal Rumble. 
So I um I was happy with that one. Um, you said that was the last one that you found satisfying, and mm-hmm. I could I could see that. But as far as just pure entertainment, I did have one more recent one on my list, and that was my number nine, which was 2011, um, which was the 40 Man Royal Rumble, and you know I, there was silly stuff in it, the, the horn swoggle thing. But I really liked the early part of the match because it started out with CM Punk against Daniel Bryan, and there was a lot of cool action in that. Um, the whole CM Punk domination with Nexus I thought was a cool spot, and then it just turned into like a, a fun old school Royal Rumble with surprise entrance, Kevin Nash or Diesel, I guess Booker T. Um, and I, I actually thought the ending was, you know, I mean, I don't never cared about Alberto Del Rio that much, but the ending where um, where Santino, you know came out and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, I remember this, this, this Royal Rumble being massively entertaining throughout, for a, throughout all 40 guys, and that's not common. And I kind of wish they'd, they'd do another 40-man Royal Rumble. I think it, it was a good move, and it made for something different, and it was a lot of fun. So usually, that- sorry, oh, sorry. Say, usually they're frustrating, and this was just fun. This was, in fact, the last one I watched for consideration. Um, based on it, 10 and 11, I had fond memories of individual things. The lion's share of each of which was Punk's runs in the Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, he got to be a little more charming in the 2010 one and more personality, I guess. But then in, in 2011, it, the same thing became clear to me watching it was like he's still six months, seven months away from cutting that big promo. But it's been obvious for the last two Rumbles that this guy is one of uh, the very tippy-top best uh, performers in the company. Um, And them running the ring was cool. Uh, It it also, what a weird crew of guys who ended up being in the Nexus, Um, which... uh, and a pretty unified theme to start with, and then all of a sudden, calendar turns to uh, January 2011, and it's this weird bunch with Husky Harris and Mason Ryan. Nevertheless, they did a good job of uh, being his guys. But the way they were built up was um, uh, a lot of thoughtfulness in that uh, you know who comes out and when, to where they established um, they slowly added guys to his group, and then they were able to get more and more guys out. And then in came a great Kali who was so big that they couldn't even stop him, and they lost one. But then their big heavy hitter came in, and he heavy hit great Kali. And it was like, oh, no, what an insurmountable situation. Pretty much in hindsight and um, regular time sight, just setting up an obstacle for John Cena to come in and knock down. But appreciate it when they do. It's better when they have a CM Punk set up like that more so than like when he was doing the Kane feud the next year. Um, the reason I watched this, cause I remembered all that great stuff. John Morrison, I assume you mentioned mm-hmm. part of that. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mention him, but yes, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, and as I was watching it up until I guess the Cena Hornswoggle run, I was thinking I was going to chart it. And then the, the second half of the match turned so kind of mundane that I ended up not going for it. Although it is a, a cute finish, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I actually think maybe would it have been better with 10 fewer guys but um, they needed a hook and it makes it stand out a little more um, so yeah would probably be my number 11 okay fair enough I was fond of it um, also <laughs> Alex Riley renowned dipshit 
falls out of the ring. How many accidental eliminations can you think of in Royal Rumble history? I th- maybe two, from, two, right? Yeah. Which we'll um, get one of them. I guess we can mention later. The other <laughs> one. Um, um, all right, your number nine. Accidental eliminations. My number nine is two thousand and five. Um, this is when we've done these lists before. You wondered, um, with say when we rated the Daniel Bryan Authority storyline as one of the best storylines, and how much you can actually credit them for something they didn't want to do. In this case, it's not even things they weren't going to do and then planned to do. It's sheer accidents that somehow made the ending of this match like infinitely more memorable and better for everyone involved except one person. Yeah. Um, this is the one that ends up John Cena and Batista, neither of whom had ever even headlined a pay-per-view before. I guess Batista was probably in an elimination chamber. Um, but all of a sudden, it's a new day. These guys are going to be the dudes who are going to run the place for the next 10 and 5 years, respectively. And that new day... I don't know, it didn't really suck. Yeah. It didn't quite rock, but it didn't suck. <laughs> um, some of its sister shows around this time period, I am barely sure we'll be talking about. This one, despite having close to the same cast of characters, was the least um, like action-packed one. But many of our greatest friends are there. And um, it, it's kind of just fine. I, the, I, the part where they build up the Raw versus SmackDown guys to recreate the um, West Side Story commercial, oh, yeah. the crowd actually goes crazy for. Because they more because they more because they love the commercial than liking the brand split. I think. Mm-hmm. But this is a that period of time where where guys were actually separated, and this match is the only time you could see oh an Eddie Guerrero do punches against a Chris Jericho. Ooh, I love punches. <laughs> um, it's funny. Do you happen to remember offhand the four guys who oppose each side of the Raw SmackDown? Uh, I, do I got not. a ch- few of them, but then a few I didn't remember. If I and in do fact, I don't fully remember now. But it's funny because one Raw side is like Jericho, Benoit, Edge, and somebody, um, and then the. Uh, SmackDown side is Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Booker T, and Luther Reigns. <laughs> so all the greats. It's funny how like throughout the generations there will always be a big crappy guy that Vince McMahon seems to think will get over. <laughs> but he won't. Yes, they happen through time here. We, we should identify like as we go through each of them which one that guy was and who was the political victim who was made to look especially stupid. In 2010, I know it was Matt Hardy who was pushed out in like five seconds after getting a big pop. Yeah, oh, just le- letting all the fans out there know. <laughs> all the fans. Mm-hmm. That I literally just now got a text from Joe Gagne saying, were you and Justin going to do a rumble listum? Huh. So, for all, you know, for all the fans out there. And I, I just texted him back saying, we're recording even as we speak. What did he say? He has not responded yet. Oh, I can't wait. He he must have a sixth sense for podcast goings on. He must, um, especially ones involving us. Um, yeah, so the 2005 Royal Rumble, I um, I I didn't have it on my list, but it was either my number 11 or my number 12. I had mentioned before to you that I was considering it for my list. Um, 
the uh, the ending was unbelievable in a few ri- in a few ways. But I don't know. You you just watched it. If I recall correctly, they legitimately hit the ground at the exact same time. They like, hit it way better than Bret Hart and Lex Luger did. Yeah, like it was like I mean I don't need like I I remember looking really hard to see who hit it first, and I couldn't see a difference. I don't know if you were able to notice something more than I was. I just saw parts of the body of each guy hitting the floor. Um, they presumably purposefully didn't go to any up close in-depth replays that may have tipped it one way or another. I'm sure if you slowed it down, you may have seen that Batista just by the sheer physics of it probably landed first. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to do, that's what's so funny about it. So the finish is, I don't know if it was going to be on that power bomb, but eventually maybe after a power bomb land on your feet, F you wiggle out power bomb, I win. Close to the same thing they did after they restarted, I think. They probably just did the same stuff. But um, he comes for this powerbomb, and it doesn't seem that hard, but um, whatever was going on, maybe because it was going to be the one where you scoop them up and they fall behind you, and that threw off all the bounce, and like a perfect pendulum, he Batista flips over backwards, perpendicular with Cena, and then they just bonk on the ground. And it, if you were going to do a straight tie like that, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? If these are two guys you can put in your world title matches, then congratulations. They're both in them. That makes sense. There's two world titles. Why not? But then it got even more fascinating from there. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, a hoot. But <laughs> what, what, I docked, what I docked a lot from this match for was that Muhammad Hassan spot, which if people don't remember, he came into the ring, and at this point, his only... Mm-hmm. real um, transgression was that he was complaining about prejudice against Muslims, if I, if I recall correctly, right? Like, that was pretty much the only thing he did that anyone was upset about, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. Okay. Well, he had had one match with Jerry Lawler, and he kicked him and stuff. All right. So, Regardless. So he came in. This was immediately after the four-on-four showdown. So, you know, they had drawn sides, and then the one thing that could bring these two clashing nations together was ew this guy yeah, so Muhammad Hassan came in and they found him so unacceptable and so vile that they all just turned their attention toward him and basically delivered a racist gang beating to him while the crowd went insane and at the time and now it's one of the more uncomfortable things I've seen on a WWE pay-per-view it's because the, the guy didn't it was basically like literally he was just getting beaten on because he was a Muslim and was open about it. And it's disgusting. And that bothered me a lot. So, I mean, there are, I mean, there are other things like the, the, you know, that the Rumble did or didn't have, but that really took it down a lot in my eyes. Like, I always remember how awful that was. That whole angle. Oh, but, yeah. that, but that moment in particular, because it was on such a high-profile event, and he hadn't done anything that heelish <laughs> yet. Yep. It's very strange, especially not just the way it booked, but the crowd is like, yes, we're 100% on board. Why wouldn't you be doing this? This is my internal visceral reaction to what I want to happen. Yeah, it was Heels and faces Raw and SmackDown, they're all like, now there's one thing I can't stand for. It's this guy. And so all your favorites, Eddie Guerrero, uh, the other guy, Luther Reigns, they're all unanimous. Rey Mysterio seems like such a nice guy. And they were all like, nah. No. Yes. And that actually happens a few minutes after the Daniel Pewter initiation, which is... Um, yeah, it's also a little bit troubling, although it bothered me less at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Then one Eddie chop him hard, then hardcore Bob Holly, 
the tough enough killer. He comes in and he does some big chops, but that's uh, short-lived. And, and They chopped him real hard, a lot. Um, they didn't really do anything dangerous. I think he took a couple suplexes, but aside from that, just like, yeah. yeah. Still lame. That's what you get, pal. Yeah. But um, um, maybe that's why what happened to Vince McMahon at the end, it was like some kind of karmic balance. All he was doing, to do, trying to do was slide in the ring. He was going to restart this match. Um... And just by rolling into the ring, I think that's when he did it. Could have been like taking a wrong step just before that, but it is a majestic sight. Matt is uh, <laughs> Vince McMahon unable to stand on his leg and just sitting there like it's completely normal, and everyone around him because it's Vince McMahon just having to humor him and be like, "Yes, uh, Vince is sitting on the ground, um, like a like a little boy leaning against a tree." Uh, yelling at us in the playground yeah (laughs) he's still doing his like boss man proclamations and I guess we have to listen to him yeah my my understanding was he got in the ring and tore one of his quads and then like tried to get up and tore his other quad if is that if I'm not positive but I believe he tore the second one after the show trying to walk around backstage no selling the initial (laughs) torn quad yeah, and then, but like, and that was, um, like, and then everyone expected that he'd be gone for like forever. And then, like, maybe like, what, two months later, three months later, he was on back on TV walking full stride. Um, I'm correct yeah, about think, that, right? I think by April, he was stomping up the steps and uh, making fun of Randy Orton's stack of dimes neck. That's right. I, I, I did, okay, I thought that was going to happen. So that was a precursor to um, what would happen in my number eight pick, which is the 2008 Royal Rumble, um, and 2008 Royal Rumble is one of those underbooked Royal Rumbles where they don't really do all that much for most of it, but it starts out really cool with The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. It has a really good atmosphere at Madison Square Garden. You got the whole Piper and Snooka thing, but it's really all about the ending, which to me, to this day, is the greatest surprise in the history of the Royal Rumble. Because I don't know anyone who thought that John Cena was ready to return from his injury. I mean, if anyone predicted that, I didn't hear about it. And no one in that crowd saw it coming. And it was amazing. It was so cool. And he came out and everyone was excited and they loved him. And then they realized they had to boo him, so they did. But then they kind of still were cheering. I'd say he got less booed (laughs) for that victory than any other major pay-per-view victory of his that I can think of. Because everyone was so excited that he was there and that it wouldn't be Triple H, I think. Or I'm just projecting on that one. But everyone was really excited to see him. And there's really not much more to say about that Royal Rumble other than they had like 18 people commentating on it. Um, I remember that. That's part of it because they, you had all three commentary teams talking at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. But, yes. So Joey Styles would interject and be like, "Wow, I can't believe Tommy Dreamer has been thrown out in ten seconds." Yeah. What do you think, Taz? Oh, very disappointing. Well, I, I remember there was one part where Viscera came out and Taz was like, "I wouldn't want to share a subway car with him," and Jim Ross was like, "I wouldn't want to share a subway sandwich with him," and ever and all like nine commentators started laughing (laughs) for that joke. Um, But yeah, that ending was awesome. Let me throw in a bonus point. Um, Watching 2010 and 2011, um, announcers are bad now, and on the whole, Mm -hmm. it's probably gotten worse, but oh shit, the Matt Stryker era. Cannot say enough negative things about how inherently awful he was. I noticed the exact same thing. 
Oh, Joe Gagne responded to me and just said, well then. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dad. We'll impress you. Yeah. God. Uh, yeah, the, 2010, I absolutely noticed the same thing about, about Matt Stryker. <laughs> like, oh, he was annoying after all. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, the announcing is bad, and I'll get to that. Um, and uh, I didn't watch 09 again. I guess that may be a hand tip. But I, I, uh, so I yeah. did. I did. It does not belong on the list. Is, super is super that, underbooked. Super underbooked. It's the one where Hunter and Randy just like come in at nine and ten and go for the whole match, just because yep. like why eliminate someone? Yep. That would be then they wouldn't be strong. Um, but so I was gonna say eight, maybe Jim Ross's last one. I know they swapped him and and Michael Cole that summer SmackDown to Raw. I don't know if he was allowed to talk at the 2009 Rumble. Yeah, I don't remember him being on the 2009 Rumble match at least. Okay, so but his call for John Cena coming out is is phenomenal. Yes, it's essentially the last time you get that added to a Royal Rumble. Uh, this will appear on my list. You are right. It is. It is all made by the end. It is a basic stand-around battle royal, but it had the cool thing with Undertaker and Michael starting and uh, a, a few high spots, I guess, there ahead. And, um, but that John Cena deal, for me, is the, the greatest moment in Royal Rumble history. And hmm, uh, It's up there. It is up there. I, I wouldn't go that far, but it's up there. The only other things I'd add to what you said is that the MSG set made it stand out. And talking about all the sameness of all these Royal Rumbles. Absolutely. And um, not just Cena winning, but the whole final showdown of Cena, Triple H, and Batista, the three guys, was was a really good finish. And uh, you're right that we a lot of these, like ever since he won his lone Royal Rumble, it's a funny story in that it, it's a 14-year payoff of people saying, oh no, Triple H is going to give himself the Royal Rumble because he'd want to. And then... Many years, he, he was the favorite going in, or one of them, and then, say, Shawn Michaels kicks him out early, and it's a pleasant surprise, or Randy Orton actually wins instead of him, and it's a nice surprise. But then he finally got his in the end. Um, oh, did so, he? So, yes, this was um, this was a great thing. John Cena winning, pointing at his shoulder, and maybe this is when pointing at the WrestleMania sign starts, but that's not something I tracked either. It was pretty... Um pretty lame actually when you look back that that led to just like a a three-way match that wasn't really didn't really get a lot of focus at that show at least on the night maybe in the build-up it did and and cena gets pinned and cena gets pinned yeah that drove me crazy the next night he's says i'll take my shot and no way out i was just like no you're ruining this perfect thing yeah but uh regardless in and of itself what a great thing and also neat in that it had been four years or three years i suppose the tick over to the next year of john cena's the guy and this was his first royal rumble and um also won at number 30 which they seem to do a couple right around now just to say finally that number 30 had won and that makes sense yeah yeah it, it, it took them about 19 years for them to finally do <laughs> that for the first time um what was your number eight my number eight is last week's Royal Rumble. Um, I think that would be the, 2016 people. He's right. Yes. I know these are evergreen and we'll put it in a time capsule. So yes. Um, a happy a caucus to currently wearing a blue t-shirt. I think we'd call it sky blue and then a Navy sweatshirt, which I don't know if that's a good match or if it's somehow too blue, but just so if people want to visualize this 
and it is about 7.28 p.m. So 2016's Royal Rumble. The triumph here to me was to have a successful match in spite of the fact that the premise and the outcome were both deeply flawed. Uh, so the work they were doing in it had to be very strong to still make that palatable in some way. And I think that's what they did. Um, not really happy about anything it's going to lead to, but the action of that match is, um, uh, again, not to ascribe too much to like Pat Patterson lingering in the shadows or just randomly showing up as an 80 year old to save the Royal Rumble after a few years of, uh, calamities, but the, the end with those seven guys or so and just trading moves and complicated choreography was, I thought really exciting. And then, um, enough to, uh, to make it worth your while in spite of the whole comedy of Roman Reigns' nap and Triple H playing a pure babyface, you get some things like, uh, Ambrose being the last one as a pleasant surprise and everything with AJ Styles and uh, at the beginning to kind of uh, get it there. And Sami Zayn showing up. Right, yes. was nice. You know, basically um, picking up NXT by way of Ring of Honor, by way of PWG feuds in the middle of the Royal Rumble. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um so I had to decide whether or not I felt like this Royal Rumble was really good or whether it was just really refreshing after a few terrible years in a row. And I kind of decided it was more the latter. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, it was it was good. I appreciated that they booked it. You know, they didn't just throw a bunch of guys out there. The eliminations had thought behind it. They had angles and multiple storylines. But the direction was is so lame to me. And the idea of Triple H coming out there and winning in dominant fair and square fashion is so frustrating to me that I just couldn't put it on my list. When I said the 2005 was either 11 or 12, this is the other one that'll, that would be in one of those slots. Um, it was good. It was a good match, but it didn't quite make the top 10. I I don't know. This WrestleMania is just, it's bumming me out, man. As well, sure. This is also, did you watch this rumble match as the it became clear and clear that an angle was about to be shot between Brock Lesnar and Bray Wyatt that could only lead to one thing? Yeah, I mean, well, it could lead to two things, I guess, if, they, if he really wants to do with the Braun Strowman thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was, a you know, I knew it was a possibility. I was holding out hope that, no, they couldn't really be going that way. But... Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, what's more frustrating about it than anything, because, you know, WrestleMania could have, there could be a year where WrestleMania, their matches are not, like, dream matches, and it could still be okay. I thought last year was mostly that. But the fact that they want this to be the biggest WrestleMania of all time, and those are the matches they're putting out there, it's like an insult to the other big WrestleManias where they did all this hard, <laughs> where they did all this hard work to make them so big, you know, with like Austin, it was a culmination of the whole attitude era, WrestleMania 17 and WrestleMania three was like one of the great hype jobs of all time. And like another culmination of a boom era. And this is just like, you know, some really lousy main events, and they're just gonna possibly get this record based on years of momentum. It's it's frustrating. And they might not even honestly, they might not even do it. Like I get, it's possible that they won't sell it out, right? It's you know, they get to call it WrestleMania, and they get to make it a whole weekend, which has I think grown in momentum over time. Um, so 
I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be from a success standpoint. I just know it's very strange. It feels like, I mean, 2011, right? The, yeah. the Atlanta year felt like a weird one, but you still had John Cena on the show, even though he's facing The Miz, and, and you still had uh, The Undertaker's streak as a viable thing. Yeah, and Undertaker versus Triple H, you know, I think to, you know, I mean, say what you will about it. I think most fans, like, thought that was a big match. Mm-hmm. So I guess Roman Reigns versus Triple H, most fans will think that's a big match, but it's not that big. Right. <laughs> and people yeah. don't like Roman Reigns that much, which is another big thing. Even people that like him don't like him that much. It would fit as one of the trend of where they do like four main events between all their protected guys. Right. And this year, they have three protected guys, and then so the opponents for two of them, Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, are going to be, yes. Bray Wyatt, maybe Big Strong Man? Who's to say? Uh, it's very strange. Um, but yeah, I think that that was what I tried to, to get out of the way, is that to have an exciting finish when I should have been dreading what was about to happen was a testament to some of the good thought put in it. And then some some uniqueness in there of like the, the weirdness of Ziggler working with Triple H and Triple H at least selling for him a little bit before he came out. And yeah, his, yeah. Uh, a lot of switching around and guys being in position and sudden maneuvers. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I there are a lot of there's a lot about the match that I respect, so I, I don't begrudge that choice. Um, my number seven is 1989, and it's the first 30 man Royal Rumble, at the first one on pay per view. And considering that, I think they did a great job. I mean, they started out with one of the most memorable spots in the history of the Royal Rumble where Axe and Smash faced off against each other, which uh, which was great. I thought it was really cool. And that whole beginning of the match had a lot of good workers in it. I mean, there was Andre, who was leaning against the ropes the whole time. But, you know, they, they had Hennig in there. They had Shawn Michaels in there. They did, were doing exciting stuff. You know, Savage was like a house of fire when he came out. Bad News was, was good. Valentine and Garvin were good. You know, there's actually like really good action. And then you had this really cool little angle where where Hogan accidentally eliminates Savage or is it accidental? And they have that little, that little tease and Elizabeth breaks it up. And then you have Hogan having to deal with the Twin Towers, one you know, one against the other. And then, um, and then Hogan gets eliminated, which I remember as a kid. I watched. I didn't watch this live. I watched it maybe two years later on tape, but I didn't know what happened. And I remember my friend and I who were watching together when Hogan got eliminated. We just like stared at each other with our mouths agape because he had just won the previous two Royal Rumbles, and we just assumed he'd won all of them. So, um, so that was amazing. And then, then it got really bad. Like the last part, that it would have been higher if the like the the last part of this match was exceptionally boring. You had Big John Stud as like the dominant guy in the ring and like the barbarian and Rick Martel and Brutus Beefcake and it was lousy. But that like I was just really impressed with how well they booked the early like the first two thirds of the match considering they had never done it before. Um so it gets high marks for me. It's very entertaining for two thirds of the way. And the action was good considering for that era. So I am a big fan of the 1989 Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. I didn't think to, to watch it. I definitely made sure not to watch 91, which I remember being very boring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think the Mega Powers part was hot. Yeah, it didn't occur to me. I just thought about the end with uh, Large John Studd winning. I was like, huh? So it's funny. I did have the identical reaction to you. I watched the 90 and 91 Rumbles and then the 89 tape was at a different video rental place mm-hmm. so we didn't seek that down and locate it was like 
you know, finding treasure somewhere to go all the way back to the 89 uh, series of uh, tapes. And, of course, WrestleMania 4 with its double-wide, double-deep box. Yes. But, so, yes, we just assumed because Hulk Hogan was in there, he would win because he was very good, (laughs) as far as we knew, at winning Royals Rumble. So imagine our surprise that not only did he not win, but um, then just some guy won. Yeah, I mean, he really was just some guy at that point. How sad. Um, it's well, kind because of, Warrior is in the 88 one, right? Yes. He's just a guy? Yes. So that's also weird. Um, if you could move it around somehow. I know Warrior was in the pose down, so he wasn't in the 89 one, but really anyone. Um See, with the next year, the, the, the big angle they shoot between Hulk Hogan and his pal is not the finish of the match because they, they want to leave something, I guess. Um, but it's both times where that's like the climax and then life continues after that. Uh, exactly. Um, what's your number seven? My number seven is 2001. Ooh. Space Odyssey. Interesting. Yes. I, um... This is one of the best WWF pay-per-views ever. The Royal Rumble is good. It's sort of hamstrung by the fact that you got Steve Austin and The Rock in the Rumble, but then probably the next seven or eight most entertaining acts on the roster are wrestling in undercard matches. So you have one of the best undercards um, you'll ever get. Maybe the best, yeah, probably the best Royal Rumble undercard. Best best, Best or second best. Yeah. So... What you've got instead is um, the the match. Rock comes out early, around 13, which is early for main eventers of the time, before the stuff we talked about where like Triple H will just come out at 8 or 3 or 2 because he need, if he's not going to win, he needs to be in the entire match. Yeah. And that's the good thing is once Rock is in the match, um, everyone is just wild for him and there's great heat anytime he's on the generic like leaned against the ropes and someone lifting him up by the leg spot people are like no don't eliminate the rock and same thing for stone cold these are just beloved baby faces two of the biggest stars ever close to the peak of their powers on a collision course with each other and the match is um really great at setting up these obstacles and getting heat on both guys like just the concept of a battle royal and nature itself and some of their enemies conspire to to keep them apart from each other and finally they get to go at it and the crowd is great and you say, oh, I guess it's going to set up uh, the biggest WrestleMania wrestling show ever. Phenomenal. Um, so it could have been higher. I just think what you have to fill it in with is a little less... Um, accomplished than some of the other ones we will be talking about. But it is, um, I think, thoughtfully structured and put together where you go from a beginning and then a Drew Carey part and then a hardcore division uh, detour. And then I think uh, um, there's there's some other peaks and valleys. The Big Show comes back and actually has a really exciting minute in the match. And uh, it's all it's all good stuff. The fact that Kane is there at the end and works almost the entire match is strange, but considering um, who they had in it, I think the TV tees where there's people they pretend are presumptive favorites, even when you only know there's one or two, it was like Rock Austin, Undertaker, and Rikishi, and they were like, yep, any one of these four men can win. 
So um, it's still good. It's as we said with Hogan and, and Savage in '89, the the Rock Austin climax is not the finish. It's like the the tease right before, and then another thing side drains them to where Austin beats Kane at the end instead. And given the choice, I guess maybe Undertaker should have been the last guy instead of randomly getting kicked out quite easily by Rikishi, but um, kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, Undertaker in 2001 was probably the lowest of that was probably like the bottom of Undertaker's powers, you know, as a as a in terms of star power. Oh, not magic. Well, yeah. he, it was also well, that. Yeah, also that. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. What would you say? Like, as far as just the aura about him, it was at its lowest, maybe in one. Yep. I mean, maybe got your. Oh, yes, yes. I was one year ahead, so definitely he was just he was some dude. Yeah. So, um, but I, mean, I love this Royal Rumble. I have it higher. Um, yeah. Everything you said. I mean, it had you know had the great like you know the division of segments. Plus, it built to an amazing climax. The early part of the match was good. The middle part of the match was good. The end of the match was good. You know, it didn't have all the super exciting, fast-paced workers, but it, it made up for it you know, with great stars and great booking. And, you know, it didn't have Triple H or Angle or Benoit or Jericho, but because of that, it didn't have Triple H, which is a good thing. <laughs> and it still had Triple H. Yeah, true. It did. But, you know, not in a way that where he could, like, win and make like undercard guys look unnecessarily bad mm-hmm. you know the honky talk man spot was fun mm-hmm. yeah i was just i was i really love this match it's um yeah uh, that's all i'll say for now but it was great but uh you know what it, it does remind me so that 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 spot where austin and the rock kind of did their stare down and ended up going toe to toe and austin was bloody and all that I just it reminded me of something with, uh, that I didn't mention earlier, which I think from the 2011 Royal Rumble, right, where Cena, <laughs> Cena and Orton, <laughs> Cena and Orton did their big stare down, renewing their classic rivalry, and the crowd was like dead silent, like nobody cared at all. That was 2011, right? Yeah, and it wasn't the 2014-15 thing where the angry crowd rejects and boos it. Right, they just genuinely were there, open-minded, and did not give a fuck. Which is amazing, then, that they went back to it in 2014, which and which allowed them to totally shit on that match. Mm-hmm. Man, people don't even remember that. Like, the people booed the, boo the crap out of that 2014 Rumble. But even before that, they were totally, like, embarrassing their main eventers in, <laughs> in that championship match. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. I told them. I spoke my mind. Yeah, that was almost even better than them booing the Royal Rumble. Because mm-hmm. they were like, yeah. Just chanting for Y2J and such. Yeah. Um, um, what all, 2001 also stands out, um, like the, the big influx of talent to the roster was there. They just didn't happen to be in this match. Edge and Chris were in the tag titles. Jericho and Benoit were in the ladder match. Eddie Guerrero... Not quite his full capabilities, but he was injured at the time. He was he was not employed by them at that time. Oh, no, you're right. He was. He came back and then was fired after. Right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So the the good workers in the match are pretty much just Matt and Jeff Hardy as the first couple guys who are then out from Drew Carey. But it's so well-booked and well-structured that it's, it's maybe not exciting, but it keeps – Things keep happening. It's yeah. not just the stand around battle royal waiting for important stuff. No, no, it was it was not an underbooked royal. It was one of like the good kind with the ebbs and the flows and the different segments and stuff. Yeah, they they did a really good job with that one. 
Um, 2002, which we already kind of bagged on, had a lot of the names on this show and put most of them in the Royal Rumble. Rock was out. Hunter and Angle were in. Added some WCW guys. And I think it was sort of a well-reviewed by some people, but I really don't like that one. No, at the time, it was it was just... it was. Guys were in for way too short. They embarrassed Booker T. They, they Rob Van Dam didn't really get much to do. It was too Triple H dominated. Um, even was even as he came out kind of late in the match. Yeah, it wasn't. 2002, early 2002 was not a was not a likable era for WWE. It had Maven dropkicking the Undertaker, which was funny. It was uh, cool, but accomplished then, little. Yeah. yeah, I mean, then like the Undertaker just completely embarrassed him. After he embarrassed the Hardy Boys. Yeah, right, exactly. So, and it didn't, I don't know, it was just a, there was just a bad booking, like, trend going on at that point. It was very endemic of the problems they were having. Yeah. Um, Steve Austin, Triple H, essentially beat up the whole roster. Right. Undertaker wasn't going to let himself not be beating up the whole roster, so he said, I'll come in and beat up everybody early, and then I'll go out on a fluke, and then I'll beat that guy up, so I'll see you later. And you're right, um, Rob Van Dam, I believe, comes in at 29, does some of his moves, and then Triple H gives him a pedigree, and this is actually worse than the famous Mania 19 one, as he just lays in the middle of the ring while people punch around him until Booker T comes out at 30, lifts him up, he's only thing that's happened to him is he took the pedigree and laid their face down, and then eliminates him, crowd hates that, then Booker T does a spin rooney then they throw him out immediately, and it's just, uh, yeah, right back to Austin, Angle, and Triple H. The same guys who they've been running on top for two years, with the addition of the oddity of uh, a returning Kurt Henning, who would be dead in a year. So, all very strange. Yeah. Well, now that, we've done sh- now that we're done shitting on 2002, okay. um, my number six is 2007. And 2007, again, uh, most of that match is not memorable at all. Um, but the ending is absolutely the best in the history of the Royal Rumble. Basically, just like a f- almost a full match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Precursor to what they were doing at WrestleMania 25. JBL, probably his peak call ever, would you say? Um, um, nothing else has come to mind, and I do remember him being good at this, so yes. Yeah, and so that, I mean, just that alone makes the whole match worthwhile. They were spectacular. Like the, the false fan. I don't know why they don't do that more often, honestly. You know, having two, like, you know, great wrestlers just like ha- work a match where they tease eliminations and the crowd goes nuts. Um, you know, they, they usually do it a little bit. They tried it a little bit with Jericho and uh, Sheamus, but those guys don't have, you know, I mean, Sheamus just wasn't at that point where people could care that much and just wasn't as good as the other guys. But. I just love that ending so much. I don't think... You know, I mean, it starts with Flair and Finley, which is cool. There was some cool stuff that went on during the match, but it was mostly just a battle royal. But the end was was absolutely phenomenal. And it came to cap off what I thought was a really fantastic pay-per-view. Cena and Umaga, you know, one of the best matches of that decade um, in WWE. One of Cena's all-time best matches. Um, Eminem against Edge and... I mean, Eminem against the Hardy Boys, really good... Um, that was just a really good, like that early ninety, early oh seven period. Actually, was one of the better periods WWE has had in the past ten years. Um, and the Royal Rumble, like they did, they did, they just did a really good job there. It was, um, I thought it was awesome. 
I don't know. I, you know, it's different Royal Rumbles have different strengths. This one just had something unique about it that made it stand out over every other Royal Rumble, and it was that ending. And I think it was strong enough to carry it over. Will appear on my countdown. I um, I would add, like obviously, the finish of those two guys is easily the best one. Um, I don't think anything is even close. A few things have been fine, but nothing really where two guys just kind of had a match with yeah. false finishes and finishers and all that. Yeah. So their first interaction in in years, almost ten years, um, set up some stuff that I guess wouldn't be paid off for another two years, but it showed what they would eventually be capable of doing those moves to each other and uh, also kipping up and sitting up at the same time. All I'll add to you is that um, really nothing happens until the end or, you know, average basic battle Royal stuff happens. The only bit I remember in the early stuff was how over Ric Flair was. And then he gets tossed out um, too soon and everyone is very sad about that. Uh, But I would say not just the final two, but as odd as to say, this match gets awesome when the great Kali comes in. <laughs> they fill up the ring with a bunch of chumps, your CM Punks, your Carlitos, pieces of trash like that, you know. <laughs> and then the great Kali, who I think had done maybe one job at this point, but was still fairly unique and protected and hadn't become a joke, he just comes out and throws out everybody except three guys and he gives them neck hang tree bomb or whatever that's called and then it's just like who will stop the great Kali and then the buzzer goes off and it's the undertaker and it's oh yeah that one guy who feuded with the great Kali last year maybe he could try and then he just like comes in and uh through the power of the creatures of the night punches him a few times and throws him over the top and that was just great great booking and it is antithetical to the way they built up Big Show and Kane in last year's match where it's like, well, they'll be big and then so unstoppable and then it'll pay off huge when someone stops them. Yeah, and it's the um, this was the first time that number 30 ever won the Royal Rumble and it was like the perfect way to do it. Now, and, oh, also the other thing I was going to say, this is when Rated RKO was like really starting to become a thing and they were great. Like they just, like they were a great act. Probably maybe the best that I enjoyed Orton after he became a main eventer, you know, cause he had the feud with Foley. That was great. Then after that, that this was probably my favorite thing he did mm-hmm. was the rated RKO thing. Um, Edge was very much carrying a tepid Randy Orton up to his level. Well, he still and, did it. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Um, he brought him from, cause what was Randy Orton doing in the no, wilderness in between? Yeah. No six. I, uh, I don't even know. The Hogan feud, the, yeah. His fake coronation at yeah. WrestleMania 22, they couldn't give him because he was too much of a wild child. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that four way before it gets down to just Sean and Undertaker is great. Um, spears and RKOs and concertos and blocks and kicks and jumps and dumps and throws, all for the good people of Texas, their two favorite sons. Great poem. Probably the guy they would have wanted to win more was Sean, but nevertheless, uh, it was too good. And as in 2010, Shawn Michaels sad not winning. He's excellent at that too. Was um, was that before or after Triple H got hurt? The Royal Rumble. It was only like weeks after. So this is like basically them just being like, okay, the greatest legend of all time is injured. We have to we have to work together to pull us out of this mess. And they mm-hmm. did it. 
the greatest legend of all time leaving the vacuum of the most anticipated rematch of all time, mm-hmm. Triple H getting to beat John Cena. Yes. And they just made everything it just made everything better. I'm sorry. It did. Mm-hmm. Um Sean was uh also just kind of doing the tag team thing, not acting uh very Shawn Michaels Lee, and then it's he kind of threw the cape on and said, You need me? Alright. I'll just get great. Instead of calling them DX, they should have called them Shawn Michaels Lee. <laughs> I like that. What about Triple HBK? Yeah, Triple Shawn HBK. Michaels Lee. Shawn Michaels Lee. Shawn Michaels Lee Aina. Um, all right, number six. Number six. This also seems like it might appall you. I'm afraid to say it. 99? It no. <laughs> Here's where I wound up with 2003. Is that cool? Oh, yeah. Um, We've talked about this. Yeah. Probably been recorded at one point or another. Yeah. I'll, but, just, I'll uh, just say it. I'll just say it. It's my number five. So we're pretty much right on the same page on that one. Cool, cool. Dope, 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 dope. The 03 is really a tale of two matches. It, for pure action, um, the first half of that match is, you know, we were just talking about 2001, 2002, and all the accumulated guys that they were signing and using at that time, it finally pays off in a battle royal environment here as they just go nuts. Um, they go real fast and do a bunch of high spots, and it's it's more or less unprecedented to my recollection in a Royal Rumble. And it's just awesome, and it's not like a hand, a small handful of guys carrying it so much as they just keep running them out there, and they all want to do some cool stuff and go real fast. And um, just for a, a basic context-free stretch of action in a Royal Rumble, I don't know if you can beat it. Um you can't, beat, it, you can't beat it, but it's weird to me that they've never tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, the athletic standard of the matches from that year on, you know, they would always have capable people, but it just meant instead of the kind of slower-paced slog of the 90s, they would do a little more spirited version of that. Yeah. Whereas in this, people are coming in, people are going out. It's basically like a, like an indie scramble match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like for like about a good like twenty minutes, guys just run and slide into the ring and then go right into one guy's move and duck out of that. People going off the ropes, etc. It is just it, for pure worked rate. It's outstanding. There is one funny slash sad part where um, Rey Mysterio and Edge do a double drop kick and mistime it, and Edge lands on Chris Nowinski's head and. Uh, Looks really painful at the time, and then you think, hmm, wonder what that led to down the road, and the announcers make jokes about him having migraine. So, Oops. Oh, God. Um, so this is awesome. It's just um, there's not much to it after John Cena comes in, and that is a funny thing in and of itself. It's like, oh, hey, it's John Cena, and all of a sudden he's an important guy. Uh, but after that, it's like they got most of the workers – in early and then aside from world's greatest tag team and brock lesnar not a lot after that to the point it almost becomes like a mirror image of the first half where you got three minute warning batista before he was really got any good kane undertaker and a final four of kane undertaker brock and um kane undertaker brock batista oh yes him too of course the derailer etc um 
And even that you is bizarre because Brock Lesnar is the chasing babyface doing the video game Road to WrestleMania storyline. But the finish of the match is Undertaker throwing out two guys and having Brock Lesnar beat, tombstoning him, and then getting distracted by the people he threw out. And then Brock Lesnar throws him out in a far sneakier fashion than Triple H won the match this year. That's strange. I ended up being a big Undertaker fan, but there was a long period of time where he did some shady Triple H-style protect-himself stuff. You know, he never had the power of Triple H, but a lot of that booking was suspect for a long time with him. Like, um, Fully Loaded 2000, where he kind of squashed the Kurt Angle, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where he beat up Edge and Christian on the same night. I don't remember when that was, but yep. it was memorable. Um, but that said, so this this one, I you know, I agree with you completely about the first half. The only thing I would say is I don't th- I think the second half was cool in its way too. I don't think it got actually crappy until like the near the very end when it was just the big oafs. But like what I remember besides just like the really great work rate in the first part of the match, which was the main selling point. That's why I have it this high. But then you know, also it's like it feels very fresh. Like it feels like there's just a lot of new blood for the first time in years. And, you know, whether it be the world's greatest tag team, John Cena, even three-minute warning, it just, like, it felt, like, new and fresh, and they were, like, kind of colorful. And the crowd had just seen Triple H versus Scott Steiner, which they booed out of the building, and then one of the greatest matches in the history of the company with Angle and Benoit. And that crowd was awesome for the whole Royal Rumble, and they were just, like, they made everything feel kind of electric. And... I think that made like kind of this this new blood seem like they seem like bigger stars than they really ever seemed otherwise. So it felt like this like hot new era that didn't end up really um, coming to fruition. But like you know, Cena's entrance with the rap was was cool. It's just like there was a lot of personality to it. And then again, like like you said, like the very very end was pretty lame when it was just a bunch of big lugs. But I don't think it was just that high work rate period that made it good. I think there was a lot of like there was a lot of other things this match had going for it. Um, so I could even see going higher on this one, but I ended up I ended up at five with it. Yeah, I I thought about going higher too. It was it, all, everyone from this one on out is kind of different and a, a different thing to prioritize, and they just kind of ended up in an arbitrary order for me. Um, the other thing about the uniqueness was this was also the first Raw SmackDown split, so things like Jericho fighting Ray um, and such along party lines were were new deals. And then they got to do angles like Jeff and Matt, who had been heel split or heel face and on different shows, they could do a little bit with them. And with Edge and Christian, same thing. The, the one thing I remember really disliking was the... So like Jericho did such a great job during the match, and like that that thing where he like eliminated Michaels early was such a shocker, and it was like really cool. And then Michaels comes out like, and I think eliminates him way too early, like way earlier than he needed to. Um, like he was like maybe like in like the in like the early twenties, and he, whereas Jericho could have easily just stayed near the end and had an Iron Man run, and that would have mm-hmm. like given the match a lot more like um, kind of symmetry. Yep. Um, Agreed. But although one thing, and it's certainly in all likelihood going to come up, the spot is a nice tribute to Ric Flair in 92, where Jericho's the second guy in, he clears everybody, he collapses, and then the music hits, and it's, oh no, RVD, a guy who's going to kick him. Yeah. That's true. That was a great spot. Um, uh, what about. So, so now you know my number five is 2003. What's your number five? Number five is 1990. All right. 
meticulously booked. I have it at number four. <laughs> cool. A lot of star power and um, one of the most like well booked, booked throughout, interweaved storylines. And for like 1990s WWF roster, they keep this thing interesting the whole time. And something productive is almost always happening. And it's harder to do that when you have the two-minute intervals versus the 90-minute ones. And they pretty much stuck to those two-minute intervals back then. And it's not like they had like this like super exciting action with like a variety of moves. It was just basic WWF 1990 style. But because of the booking and the characters and, yeah, like you said, the star power, they spread it. They split up the stars. They had a lot of stars come out early with Jake the Snake, Ted DiBiase, Savage, Piper. You know, that was awesome. They had like a four-way like really early on. And then, you know, you still had Hogan and Warrior late in the match. So they, I mean, they were on fire in terms of star power like in 89 and 90. Um, and, yeah, just um, a lot of really fun eliminations, good spots. Um, just... Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually amazing that they were that good at it that early, and then were just like got worse at it uh, in various points. I guess maybe it did have to do with how much Patterson had input in a given, in a given year. It is um, not everything has to be as ironclad as this one, beginning to end. But you wonder why it's not possible to say just have some stuff pay off earlier and in the middle and. Uh, build to some future matches well there needs to be stuff to pay off like a lot of the time they you know over the past decade they really haven't had real angles in the mid card you know Mm -hmm. now they're starting to get better with that again like ambrose and and owens had an actual heated feud in the mid card where they could have a violent match and it would be over you know that's that was that's been rare over the years it's very strange in 2010s, by the way, when the one mid-card angle they shoot is the heated U.S. title rivalry between Miz and MVP. These yeah. two men's animus for each other yeah. boiled over so much that not even the Royal Rumble entrances can contain them. Yeah, that is because I don't remember that at all. But I remember, but I, obviously I saw it when I was rewatching that match, but I didn't like remember that feud or anything. So this 1991, certainly it's most remembered for the Hogan Warrior showdown, stare down run off, jump off, double clothesline. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I just have to say, it's an aside. How fucking stupid is it that that's like their big, that's <laughs> like, you know, when they finally, these two titans finally collide, and they Let's just start run. like, they run and shoulder block each other and do like leaps, leapfrogs and stuff. <laughs> drop downs. Yeah, drop downs. All the other times they're doing drop down jump overs. Um, yeah, that's funny. But I guess the as the WrestleMania 6 um, hype and uh, promotional material showed they're living constellations. Their whims and decisions are, cannot be bound by the the decisions of mere mortals. Prepare to explode. Uh, Can I rattle off though? All the other shit that gets set up and, and um, utilize in this match. Please do. It just keeps going. So the beginning is DiBiase. DiBiase has the, uh, it's a funny thing. With all these early ones, Vince McMahon's idea of a heel seems to be like a not a super strong guy who through uh, just um, his odious personality sticks around at the party for too long. And then finally they get thrown out at the end. Um, but he does sort of a trial run for uh, the sister rumble that's coming in a couple years. And um, he goes for a long time. 
his feud with Jake Roberts comes out early, and then um, they're going to have a Mania 6 match, and then Savage and Dusty, who shot an angle earlier in the show, Dusty ends up eliminating Randy Savage. Piper, who comes out for that action-packed four-way deal with Jake and um, uh, Savage and DiBiase, he is pulled out by Bad News Brown after he throws him out, and that sits up their match. Andre the Giant comes in and gets to do some giant stuff, and only the combined powers of their tag title program, Demolition, can throw him out. And then I think the next thing that happens is the Hogan Warriors stuff, setting up Mania 6. And then after that, you get what is effectively the blow-off to the Hogan Perfect program that had been headlining uh, the house shows that time. And by the way, um, one negative thing. The Rockers were both treated like total loser th- losers at this point. I wonder if they were like in the doghouse a little bit. I was going to ask you the same thing. If we were doing the uh, um, political victim of the match, it would have to be like, what were they slapping the Rockers on the wrist for? Or was it just like... Because the Rockers were um, not world beaters, but they were a successful semi-protected act who got yeah. to you know win their matches due to their tag team skills. And in 89, so. they the Michaels in particular had a really good run, and Gennetti would, did okay for himself. So. Mm-hmm. It's very. It's almost like the setup tease for all the promos uh, Sean did on Hogan in 2005 is when he gets 30 seconds in this match and has to get out immediately because yeah. they're going to do the Hogan Warrior stuff. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. I mean. Th- I mean, it was great, and and just. I mean, th- I think my favorite part of that whole match was like the when it was DiBiase, Jake, Piper, and Savage at the beginning, and it was like, holy shit, this it's on now. And you don't get enough moments like that early in the Rumble. Also, you just don't get enough stars and characters like that anymore. But Oh, I felt like I was missing one thing, and I was. They also build up the Earthquake, and it takes the whole ring to eliminate the Earthquake. Yeah, I also really enjoyed Akeem's elimination, where he, like, hits Snooka, does a little dance, and then Snooka just, like, blocks into him, and he falls all the way out. (laughs) Um, also, I, what I liked about this Rumble pay-per-view was it was the first one where they had like all the guys do their little mini promos, and those are really entertaining in and of their own right. Like they, they should do more. I mean, I guess guys don't do promos anymore, but you know, it, like that stuff, I get a big kick out of. Well, putting it on Raw, you know, that would of course be a huge waste of time. No one would want to see people talking about how they're going to win the Royal Rumble. What's the point of that? Well, but, nowadays, they'd all be saying the same stuff, and it'd be scripted, and they'd be talking about the WWE universe and, and competing and all that stuff. So, My opportunity to steal the show at WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, however, they do so much web content, why doesn't some dude just grab a camera and shoot his own like fake Rumble pre-roll uh, series of interviews? Guys standing in front of lockers and put on the website and be nostalgia for people who remember that. I mean, I'd take that before I would the Rumble Tumbler picking numbers out. That's a really good idea. Thank you. All right, so that's my number four. Let's see okay. if you. Well, I guess no. You would. There's no way that your number four is my number three. So, what is your number four? My number four is 08, and um, it seems like the strength of that ending and the memorable shock value is just what I was valuing there, and uh, got it in at number four. It really is just a fairly above average battle royal up until the end but um you know very very cool all right my number three is 2001 
which you know is great for all the reasons that you said. I just think those that may, that like the sum total makes that stronger than like an 08 and an 07, just because I mean you know just I don't know just the it just felt more meticulous and the ending was great too. It was one of the better you know it wasn't one of the best endings in history, but it was one of the better ones. And I think when you put the sum total together, it was just a, such a well booked rumble with the right stars. So I feel like that's a strong top three candidate. I'm gonna guess. What your number three is, 2007? That's right. That's right. Thought about making number two, but figured, you know. Yeah, we got, we're going to have the obvious choices as one and two. Now, to me, one and two, very obvious order for those two to go in. Um, but, Justin, you've been known to surprise me. So, my number two is 2004, Justin. What's your number two? Nope. Mm-hmm. You're a, you're a, you're a bold I'm a modernist. You're a bold man, Justin. Um, so 2004, I have a lot of mixed emotions about. Um, so I'm just judging it based on the quality of the construction of the match, and the, uh, and the resonance that it had at the time. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, Chris Benoit. You know, he's a, he's you know as great as he was as a wrestler. Um, you know, given what we know about him now, what I'd say he represents in this match at this point is just a stand-in for all of the really great wrestlers that the crowd liked more than their push, and you know, just the notion of what could possibly be done with one of those guys. Like, imagine if like Daniel Bryan got that treatment in. 2014. I mean, it wouldn't have meant as much because it had already happened with once with Benoit, but it was such an unlikely thing to happen. And the fact that they ended up doing it so well by starting him with Orton, having Orton kind of parallel him for most of the match. Um, and by the way, as far as like work rate in the match goes, that first part of this year, 2004, was probably as good as any besides 20 was besides any besides 2003. Um, it was pretty fast-paced and exciting. I think the roster of guys was a little bit lamer, but they. Uh, but then the the fact that they did the foley angle in the middle, which turned out to be so hot, and then you just stacked the ring with great wrestlers because you had Angle and Jericho in there at the same time. The Goldberg elimination was just done perfectly, and then that finale with Big Show. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to think of that. That was just so well booked, and the and the finish with the with the choke. It was awesome. I mean, what what puts it lower than ninety two is the, um, I mean, a the specter of how terrible Chris Benoit is, um, obviously is a big one. But even besides that, it doesn't have the the emotion attached to it from the crowd. It doesn't have the um, the peaks and valleys. It doesn't have the commentary, which just takes the ninety two match to another level. And it doesn't have, I think, the charisma of those, like, the guys in the 2004 just don't have the charisma as those guys in 92. And I think that makes all the difference. Also, 92 did it first. And they did it with, it did, they did it with style. And I think 2004 is very well booked, but there's a little bit, it's a little bit lacking in kind of panache compared to that 92 one. Yeah, I went with the 04 and same caveats of you of considering it in the vacuum of what I thought about it. You went with when no fours. You went with no fours. Number one, you mean? I did. Yes. Yes. But um, I think well, I like it better than ninety two because because they do more stuff. Ninety two is great, 
But the the action of the match is really just everyone punching and slamming Ric Flair. Um, whereas in 2004, lots of stuff happens. Um, I would say the action of the match is not everyone punching and slamming Ric Flair. The action of the match is Ric Flair selling, everyone punching and slamming him. That's a good distinction, yes. Um, and it, it's awesome, and the fact that Ric Flair is doing it in a WWF ring and is going to go the whole thing and, and win it as a sneaky heel man. Um, I just think um, for big spots and moves 92 and there's nothing wrong with working like a battle royal but if i'm gonna put a list together i'm gonna choose like all the exciting uh ins and outs and maneuvers and booking of the guys at the end of 04 whereas 92 what an ending it comes down to your final four of hogan flair sid and savage but then it's over in like 30 seconds and all they do are like toss out throwouts um so even even compared to the 91 that came right before it, there's almost nothing aside, I think, from Savage and Jake that is built up as a running story throughout 92, aside from... It was, it was one versus all far more than it was with Roman Reigns this year in terms of people not being fair to Flair, punching him, and him saying, Oh, God! But that's awesome. And, yeah. that, and that Piper moment, you have to admit, that's like... You know, if Cena, if Cena coming out is the best moment in Royal Rumble history, that might be number two. That where Flair collapses and just and and and, and Gorilla's like Roddy, and Piper's yeah. just like bounding down to the ring, um, and Flair begging off. Oh my God, so good. And the, and I I don't want to understate the commentary though. I mean, the number one thing that makes a lot like I mean, so first of all, if you're gonna watch. Any Royal Rumble that has Gorilla Monsoon on commentary, you're going to be entertained. Like, say what you want about him as a commentator and his strengths and weaknesses. He was entertaining to listen to. Those, those, the WWF shows from that era were fun because of him and his interplay with Jesse Ventura and, uh, and Bobby Heenan. And this was the absolute pinnacle of commentary elevating, like, those, that style to another level. Because, you know, Heenan was a character in the match. And Gorilla, like, I mean, I mean, that was just, you know, you don't get that on commentary anymore. Commentary never adds to matches anymore. And it did so much during, during this match. Um, so I think that's, that adds a whole another element to it. And you, and the star power, the way they projected their characters, you know, you know, you could say it was basic offense, but it was done, like I said, it was done with style. They just were able to, they played their part so well. And 2004, especially that first half, you know, it was well worked, but it was really was just a bunch of guys, um, you know. And then you know that later part where with Jericho and Angle and Goldberg it gets a little bit more, a little bit more personality comes through. But the guys just had so much more personality in the early 90s, and th- I think it was used to perfection here. I'd say this is maybe like number two, three, or four in terms of star power in Royal Rumble matches. And I think they use that to their advantage. Because, I mean, one match, you had Flair, you had Piper, you had, you had Savage, you had Jake, you had Undertaker, Sid, Hogan. Even Slaughter was a former champion at that point. You know, it's pretty, pretty huge in terms of star power. Um, and then some bonus Easter eggs like uh, Greg Valentine and Kerry Von Erich also going to do a big punch to Ric Flair. Yeah, exactly. Um what was it the barbarian doesn't like Flair? Like, <laughs> like, like that's oh, so good. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, I would say that that's a distinction. Oh four was really well booked, really well worked, but ninety two just had both of those things, maybe a little bit less in terms of like moves and stuff, but great selling, great character work, great commentary, great crowd heat. Yeah, I think it just uh, what it shows to value on the list. Um, obviously, ninety two is is easily number two for me. Um, I just think all the thought that went into two thousand four maybe makes it better for. Uh, but this also seems like minority opinion because people love to talk about rewatching that ninety two match. But I'd I'd much rather watch oh four again because so many different things happen. And um, well, as we've said over the years. And maybe it's a difference between us. The the Benoit factor makes rewatching that stuff difficult. Sure. Um, I'm trying to yada 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 out of Chris Benoit's murder suicide into like, hey, but Jericho was there. Um, all the workers working. It was a kind of a neat meek will inherit the earth type thing at the end with Hunter and Sean in their own ego fest match, and uh, Lesnar out of the match that, uh, and Goldberg getting um, he was at the end of his run there and they weren't going to take care of him too much aside from the, uh, requisite spearing and brief run he got to do. Uh, so it comes down to all those guys for his big fat, big show. And, uh, that's just, um, really, 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 really well thoughtful, well thoughtful, well put together and thoughtfully done. Um, also I think that the beginning of that match, there is maybe a little more, um, detail work than you might remember. Uh, cause they set up the, um, the Undertaker Kane thing, and then it, it just seemed like there was a, a little bit of thought between some stuff. Like they would use the jabronis to build Benoit and Orton instead of just doing um, eliminations to get guys out of there. Yeah, no, it's, that's definitely true. And by the way, speaking of 2004, so I made a rule that the only matches that could appear on our list were ones that appeared at a Royal Rumble event. You know, so 88 was valid, but the 2004 SmackDown Royal Rumble, which happened right after this. To, to crown the SmackDown title match receiver at No Way Out. Um, that match was the precursor to the 2007 Rumble with the Michaels and Undertaker ending because Angle and Eddie Guerrero did an amazing match at the end of that 15-man SmackDown Royal Rumble that just, even though I, I wouldn't allow it on the list, it definitely deserves a mention because it was spectacular. And I think the pertinent thing was it was the... they had two ideas for the finish of the proper rumble. One, Benoit and Angle were going to do essentially the same thing, have a very action-packed, uh, false finishy um, last two guys, and instead they went with uh, Big Show being this unmovable roadblock and Benoit finding a way to do that, which left them free to do the Angle and uh, Eddie to do the real work-intensive finish uh, a couple days later. Yeah. But it's a, I mean, this list does show that as samey as Royal Rumbles can be, there's a lot of variety in there in how they, in how they book them and how they work them, and that's good. It's really a shame how they ruined the, the 14 and 15 Royal Rumbles. But I'd say those were products of bad booking, um, like just like not smart booking. But there were actually, if you go back and watch them, there were elements of those Royal Rumbles that probably would have been well regarded if it hadn't been for... Um, if it hadn't been for the uh, for the just that that one particular bad booking decision they made each year involving Daniel Bryan and not Daniel Bryan, but uh, two thousand and t- 
2012 and 1999, I'd say were two that were just lost causes right from the start with how they approached those matches. Uh, I don't know how well you recall the 2012 Rumble. 99, obviously, everyone remembers. Um, and you got to give her credit for being different, at least. But, um, oh, 12, man. That was, like, if you want to go back and watch that, talk about, like, the opposite of star power. Incredibly lackluster. At least Jericho could have done two things. He could have saved his comeback as a surprise in that match, and he could have won. That would immediately make it better, but there was no saving just the non-thought they put in everything else. I think that's the one where all three announcers came out, and um, Cena wasn't in the match because he wasn't in the world title match, but he was going to wrestle Rock, so there was no point in having him not win the Royal Rumble, so he just wrestled Kane. It was It was not good. Cena versus Kane was, um, yeah, that was just a bad idea all around. Um, yeah, and Punk wasn't in it either because he was the champion. Uh, I guess we should go over our lists. Um, we pretty much have the same ones, but I'll run down my order. It was, uh, at number 10 to 2010, at number 9, 2011, at number 8, 2008, at number 7, 1989, at number 6, 2000, excuse me, oh yeah, excuse me, at number 6, 2007, in num- at number 5, 2003, at number 4, 1990, number 3, 2001, at number 2, 2004, and at number 1, 1992. Mine are number 10, Edge winning in 2010, number 9, Batista winning in 2005, 8, Triple H winning in 2016, 7, Austin winning in 2001, 6, Lesnar winning in 2003, 5, Hogan winning in 1990, Four, Cena winning in 2008. Three, Undertaker winning in 2007. Two, Ric Flair winning in 1992. And one, Benoit winning in 2004. I didn't want to say all those numbers in a row. All right. And uh, as much as I love having Justin on these shows, probably my next episode will have to involve branching out. But I feel like Justin and I have some sort of obligation to do some sad WrestleMania-related podcast in the next uh, month or two um, where we lament all the things that have gone wrong on the road to WrestleMania 32. Um, Would you say that's fair to say, Justin? Yes, we will do it. Um, I will say that just I feel less of an impetus to because this year there's nothing I can say, well, you should clearly be doing this. It's more like you have no good ideas and this is one of the subpart ones. Yeah, I mean, it would be a good um, be a good exercise to see how we could salvage this WrestleMania as best that we can. I mean, they have two months to build some good angles. You just have to, I think, they probably have to start with matches that would be appealing and work backwards to make them seem big, right? Wouldn't that be the way to, that you would do it? I certainly am reminded of a year like 2004, which people weren't jacked, amped, stoked about all the paths they were leading to um, Goldberg and Lesnar and Undertaker Kane were two presumptive matches coming out of the Survivor Series. But this rumble, they were clearly building backwards from that because they set up like Jericho Christian and John Cena and Big Show and, and a lot of stuff. Whereas with this one, I guess there is enough pieces there to assemble an interesting mid card. And, and the weird thing is they may actually have matches that, never would have had any kind of substantive time or focus on some of the prior WrestleManias just because there's so little depth that, like, hypothetically, if AJ Styles and Kevin Owens are going to have a program, 
or Jericho and Dean Ambrose, it's not like all those guys need to be squished into one Intercontinental title ladder match. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and then there's the Daniel Bryan wild card where they say it's not a 0% chance that he'll be back. And boy, star power-wise, they sure could use him. Um, what you would do with him, that's a little bit trickier. Um, but we could save that for another podcast. Um, thank you, Justin, for doing this. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Like I said, probably the least interesting topic as far as wide appeal, but I think there are enough people out there who like Royal Rumbles that might want to hear about them. So if you listen, let us know. Um, thanks to uh, Joe Gagne for texting me during the show. Uh, thank you to the Cubs fan, as always, for hosting this. Thank you for listening. Uh, uh, until next time, read a damn book if you want to learn something. Uh, Thank you to Justin for being on, and uh, until next time, a happy a caucus, a to ya. <laughs> Bye-bye.